Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, we um, confess that we need you so much. We need to hear your words of welcome. We need to hear your words of warning. We need to hear your words of wisdom and discernment. Father, would you wow us this morning? Would we, so, would we be so captivated by a vision of your splendor, your majesty, your mighty acts, that we would leave dismantled and put back together, that we would leave in a way that our hearts have been changed, soften our hard hearts, give us life through your Son, through his life, his death, his resurrection, his reign, his future return. Father, we ask that you indeed would have your way with us. Would your spirit indeed be the one who changes us from the inside out? Give us your, give us your strength. Give us your mercy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Boy, I tell you what, those words are just so, um, so powerful, aren't they? I just, the, the music I chose this morning was deliberate in trying to communicate the necessity, the absolute necessity of God being at work in our lives for there to be real transformation. When I was in, listen to this, those of you who are in junior high, high school, I want you to hear this. And if you don't, if you're younger in elementary school, I want you to listen to this. One of the things that would, to me, as a young person that made Christianity so compelling was the way that it described our world so accurately. Does that make sense? In other words, when you actually go to live your life, Christianity and the things that it teaches, listen to this, they fit like a hand, like a glove on the hand of reality. Does that make sense? That Christianity, how it describes the world, how it attempts to explain why things are the way they are, it fits like a glove on the hand of reality. It just, it just works. Now remember that, especially as I got into junior high, high school, as, I start, as things became less black and white, as things got more complicated, as they got more sophisticated, and I've seen that in my own children. In fact, very often, I, as, as, as my kids have grown up, in elementary, junior high, they'll be like, oh, you know, I'll ask them about kids at school. Oh, yeah, the kids at school, they're good. They're good kids. You know, we all have fun. We play together. And then things get more complicated, right? So when they thought was a friend, ah, isn't so much of a friend. And, and stopping and saying, well, wait a minute, what happened? What changed? What, well, it seems that things weren't what they appeared to be. And that notion of appearance, that notion of deception, that notion of that the world is actually a lot more complicated, that humans, that for all of their, on the one hand, all of their dignity, all of their nobility, for all that, that, that we are that is good, that is, I don't know, for all of our capacity, think how capable we are. It's just amazing what humans can do. And yet on the other side, what? All of our depravity, all of our folly, all of our ignobility, right? And Christianity, listen to this, kids, Christianity accounts for both of those. 
That we were made in the image of God as humans, and yet what? We are fallen, we are lost, we are depraved. Christianity shows, I mean, in contrast to a scientific, quote-unquote, scientific worldview, a pseudo-scientific, or you might want to call it a scientism-like view of the world that sees humans as just amoebas, we're advanced amoebas. It just didn't make sense of the world. You can't account for how, the love, you can't account for the beauty, you can't account for the capacity but neither can you account for the depravity. The, 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 just the non-Christian worldviews that were offered just didn't make sense. And so, and so and as we look at our text this morning, as we continue our journey through Exodus, we're going to see this this morning. What we're going to read, I'm actually going to read a large segment of our text this morning. And it may be a somewhat of a challenge, but I want to encourage you, all of you, to enter into the story and to see various themes that are going on. When I, was, uh, in the Air, when I was in the Air Force, I, I had a, um, a, a co-worker who became a, a relatively good friend. He was a, um, he was a really fascinating guy. He, was a, he had a PhD in chemistry. His name was Charlie. And I remember one time, Charlie was always kind of making observations about the world. He's a very, very highly intelligent guy. And one thing about Charlie um, that I think we can all can identify with, he would always talk about his diet. He'd always be talking about how he was always trying to lose 15, 20 pounds. He means that I just work on this diet. I decided to start taking up bicycling. I started to do this and whatever it may be. And he came to me one day and he goes, man, you know, he said, what's so funny is as a PhD, he said, I can tell you how to lose weight. I understand very simply the science behind it all. I know what will, physiologically, I know what will make a person lose weight. And I can't do it. <laughs> I just can't do it. I can't. I know it's there, but it actually making myself do it. Actually having the ability to change, to take a different path in life. Even when I see it, I still don't do it. Right? I see a number of you nodding, right? You can relate. We all, again, that's what Christianity, as we're going to see, is like a glove that fits on the hand of reality. How do you give an account for the fact that you've got a guy who can, can explain all the science behind weight loss and yet can't do it himself? And that's kind of a fun or maybe kind of a silly, rather silly Right, a- example, because it's just about weight loss, although you could think as Americans, when we think of the health concerns, right, I've got a nutritionist over here, dietitian over here, who is nodding and smiling, right, when we think of actually the, the significant cost of what that is, not just financial, but to our livelihood or our length, of, of length and, and, and uh, quality of life, it's significant, but, but think of things far darker than that. Think of how as a nation, are the great original sin of, of America is what? Is racism. Think of our past, of the slavery of Jim Crow. Think of the greed in America. Think of the lovelessness that we often see in our neighborhoods and our communities and cities. Think of just even this past week as we talked, as, as was mentioned about the shootings, the school shootings. We see these things and we ask the question, can there really be change? Can that really happen? And, and as, so I want to, it's with that question in mind of change, of transformation, that I want to read the, the, this large section. I want to read, I'm going to read the, the first nine plagues 
to you. We're going to start in chapter 7, verse 14. And I want you to, you're, you're welcome to follow along in your Bible, but you might just want to actually just close your Bible and just pretend like you're, you know, five or six years old again and you're just listening to your mom and dad read you a bedtime story. And as you're reading, as you're listening, just look for various themes. And there's a, there's a lot that we could, there's so many angles we could take in exploring the story. But I want us to take one specific angle. I want to talk about the human heart. Specifically, I want to talk about Pharaoh's heart and the notion that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Okay? Now understand, Pharaoh's at the very top of the food chain. He is an extremely intelligent person. He is an extremely well-educated person. He is the epitome of what today we would call privilege. He's at the top. He has all manner of resources at his disposal. As we're going to see, he's got servants, he's got magicians, he's got all kinds of people who are there for him. He's got a whole uh, nation underneath him. And we'll find out, we're going to talk about this idea of hardness of heart. So let's start. This is on page 53 of your pew Bible. That's chapter 7 of, of the book of Exodus, verse 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Now go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink the water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt over the streams and the canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. And he raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. 
The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people and into, and into your ovens and eating troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from my people, from me and my people, and I will let you I, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Well, that sounds good. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may, may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials, and your people they will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on the people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will, send swarms, uh, me, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people, this sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses and his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said, That would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? 
We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then the Lord left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. That's right, then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, and camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a, the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, Tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died. But no animal, no one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh investigated and found, uh, and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding. And he would not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air into the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt. And festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took root. So they they took soot. Soot, sorry, soot from a furnace, and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the into the air, and festering boils broke out on people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because the boils that were on them and all the on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded until now. 
Give an order now to bring, to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. Those officials who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt, on people and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell, and lightning flashed back and forth. And it was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned. He said to them, The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail, so you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord. You have a parenthetical remark here. The flax and the barley were destroyed since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands toward the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped and the rain no longer poured down on the land. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that they may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord says, the God of the Hebrews. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land until now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? 
Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go, worship the Lord your God, he said, but tell me, tell me who will be going. Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you if I let you go, along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since, that's, since, that, since that is what you have been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt, so that locusts swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the, loc- had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees. Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust was left anywhere in Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days, yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, go, Worship the Lord, even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock, too, must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. The word of the Lord. I want to just very briefly outline what it means to have a hardened heart. First, let me just ask a few questions by way of doing that. First, what is the heart? 
What is the heart? I mean, in English, we use that word in various ways. But in the Bible, the heart refers to, listen to this, the heart refers to a person's powers of discernment and decision-making. Then there's a twofold idea. On the one hand, it's discerning. It's being able to, to, to receive, to interpret, to perceive, to make sense of the world, to evaluate, to, um, to understand. It refers, on the one hand, to our ability to receive uh, input from outside of ourselves. Does that make sense? So it refers, the heart refers to our powers first of discernment, of understanding, of perceiving, but it also then refers to, listen to this, to our, our powers of decision making, of acting, of performing. We see this all throughout. Turn back to chapter 7, for chapter 7, this idea of understanding, chapter 7, verse 14. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. His heart is hard. He re- Listen to this. He refuses to let the people go. Um, or, or verse 13 as well. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and what? He would not listen. So to have a, a heart that's hard means that what? You're not willing to receive. There's no way that anything, any external input can get in. That's what a heart does. A heart is about receiving. It's about being that sort of that, that radar, if you will. It's that ability to receive external input and process it. That's what a heart is supposed to do. But not only is it receiving, is it understanding, not only does it have the power of discernment, and it's the power of decision-making. Now, I'm, it's, it's the input, but also, in a sense, the output. It's what I'm called to, what, what, the, the, the path, the course of action that I'm going to take. And again, you see that in the same sort of verses right here in verse 13 and 14. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them. Just as the Lord had said, and the Lord said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. He's the course of action. He's not going to do that. And so a hardened heart, as these same verses imply, listen to this, is a heart where that function of discernment, of understanding, of receiving input has shut down or is severely, severely harmed. In the same time, that ability, that, that action, that begin subsequent because of that, that action that results, the decision making, it never changes. Right? So there's no input, and therefore the output is it just keeps doing what it was doing all along. A hardened heart is one that is stubborn, one that is unyielding. Often today, we'll use the phrase, an echo chamber. That person lives in an echo chamber. They won't actually hear. They won't listen. So I want to ask this. It won't take very long. I'm going to ask the question just straight from the text. How does Pharaoh's hardened heart act? First, in no real particular order, but first, a hardened heart will always look for alternate explanations. It'll look to explain life in ways that are convenient, in ways that affirm preconceived notions. In our world today, we call that a confirmation bias. 
This happens all. In fact, the, 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 the internet has made confirmation bias and the hardened heart just flourish. Because why is that? Because you can go on Google and you can find what? Anything. You can go on Google and find anything that you already believe. Well, I have a hunch that maybe this is the case. You Google it and sure enough, you find some website, some article that will confirm what you already believe. And we see this, for example, in, in, the, in, the, in the three or four uh, situations where Moses or Aaron perform a certain sign, a certain miracle, and who's able to replicate it? The magicians. Right? So the first time Moses says, or Aaron says, throws, throws down his staff, right? We talked about this last week. Staff becomes a serpent or something like that. And of course, Moses or Pharaoh summons his, his magicians and they do the same thing. And the same thing that happens, the, the, the water turns to blood. Pharaoh's like, ah, oh, I can do that. Then along come the frogs. We can make frogs. At that point, you've got to wonder. It's like, listen, so you can make, I mean, I don't know. I just kind of was kind of a humorous thing to me, I guess. But it's just funny how that they come and you think that the magicians would want to like kill the frogs. Instead, they just do it like what? Make more of them. It's like, well, I think we got enough frogs. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? I think we got we don't, no more serpents. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, we no more blood. We're, but they can't. When they, can, they can only somehow replicate it. They, can, they, can't, they can repeat the signs, but they can't reverse the signs. Right? You just almost imagine Pharaoh, like, kind of shaking his head. Great, you know, more, more frogs, just what we need. <laughs> right? So there's this limitation. But, but the whole point is that Pharaoh looks to this explanation. Oh, my guys can do that. So we're good. A hardened heart will find alternate explanations. Second, a hardened heart doesn't care when other people suffer. That's obvious from the text, isn't it? A hardened heart is insensitive, can't receive input, not only direct counsel, not only direct confrontation, and a hardened heart simply just can't hear the pain and sorrow of others. That's what makes this passage, reading this passage, so difficult, right? You got all the Egyptians, and they're all suffering right along with Pharaoh. And that's what's so important is that the higher we are, if we're in a position of, we're in, as a parent of a family, as we, if we're in a head of, of a church, if we're, or if we're in any sort of leadership position, when we have a hardened heart, the people under us will pay. So first, a hardened heart finds alternate explanations. Second, it doesn't care when others suffer. Third, a hardened heart will bargain. It will bargain. It will negotiate. It will even make false promises. Look at chapter 8, verse 8. It's on page 53. Chapter 8, verse 8. This is the plague of frogs. This is Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, what? Pray to the Lord. Wow, that sounds wonderful. He's asking for prayer. Isn't that great? He's asking for prayer. Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. And I will what? I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Hey, it's like, this is what we've been waiting for. We got it. Hey, guys, you know, they're just celebrating. Hey, guys, Pharaoh just said that he's willing to let us go. What we're going to do is pray, and he's going to let us go. There's this sense of negotiating, of bargaining. You do this, you do that. And then, 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 then verse 9, Moses said to Pharaoh, I will leave you the honor. It says, Moses says tomorrow. Before Pharaoh says tomorrow, Moses replied, hey, I'm, I'm, this is how it's going to go. And of course, Pharaoh doesn't do it. And it happens several times. Look, in, look in, verse, at chapter 8, verse 25, on the next page. 
Verse 25 says, Then the Lord summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to the Lord your, Lord, to the Lord your God here in the land. So we already had the plague of flies. Pharaoh says, that's it, fine, go. But again, he negotiates. There's this sense of, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to give a little bit. I'm going to give some, I'm a bargain, I'm going to negotiate, but I'm not actually going to do what God has said to do in toto. So there's this bargaining, there's this making, there's this making false promises. Later in verse 29, as we read, it says, Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I will pray, I will pray to the Lord. And tomorrow flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure, what? That he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. How many of us, there have been times when life gets hard, we're under pressure, we say, uncle, uncle, okay, yeah, fine, well, we'll do it your way. And then the pressure's gone, no one's upset with us, no one's angry with us, and we go back to our old ways. Our hardened heart finds alternate explanations, doesn't care when others suffer. It bargains and regularly makes false promises. The fourth thing that hardened heart does is it recognizes but doesn't revere God's authority. It's amazing how all throughout this, this, this passage, Pharaoh will go to Moses and ask God to pray. God can end this. He brought it on. He knows. He recognizes God's power. Your God, the God of these slaves, he's got power. He recognizes Yahweh's authority. And yet he refuses to really revere it, to yield to it, to surrender to it. He doesn't go to his own magicians and ask them to end the plague. He goes to Pharaoh. He recognizes God's authority, but doesn't actually revere it. Next, a hardened heart, listen to this, a hardened heart pretends to confess. Look in chapter 9, verse 27. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned. And this time, like apparently I don't know if he'd sinned before, but this time, he says, this time I've sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. And then again in chapter, chapter 10, to the next page here, chapter 10, verse 16. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. So a hardened heart pretends to confess. Finally, I'll mention one more thing. Uh, a hardened heart judges with undue suspicion. Look in chapter 10, verse 8. Chapter 10, verse 8 is the previous page here. Chapter 10, verse 8. <clears throat> and then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go, worship the Lord your God, he said, but tell me who will be going. Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks and our herds, because we are, a, we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. And Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you if I let you go, along with your women and children. Clearly, listen to this, clearly you are bent on evil. 
A hardened heart regularly judges with undue suspicion. It assumes the worst of others. Gang, I just can't tell you how important it is to recognize, to recognize who Pharaoh is. Is Pharaoh merely an exception? Just a really bad guy? What do you think? Is Pharaoh just, well, that's what happens with people in places of power. That power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Because, I mean, you read the passage, nine, you're thinking, on the one hand, it's, it's a really amazing passage. On the one hand, you, you recognize God's patience, right? I mean, how many plagues is he going to send? Right? I mean, he's going to keep going and going and going, right? I mean, it's just, so on the other hand, it's his patience. On the other hand, of course, it's his power. You just see that by the end of the story, you know who's absolutely in control. And then you also realize you can just see God's punishment. And there's a sense of like, this is the, the hammer is going to drop eventually. And Pharaoh is simply not getting it. So the question is, is Pharaoh an exception? Or is he actually something very much more common? Let's just, let's just tur- turn to the right real quick. I'm going to turn to the Psalms. Psalm 95. We've used the psalm in our call to worship before. Psalm 95. So oh, it's on page 514. 514 of your pew Bible. We're almost done here. We're coming in. I'm going to land the plane here. Psalm 95, verse page, page 514. You have this wonderful summons. Verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Sounds great. And then He says this Today, if only you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day in Mesa in the wilderness. What's He talking about? He's talking about the Israelites. Who had just, who were on their way, who had just left Egypt. And they leave Egypt, they're in the wilderness, and what do they do? They start grumbling. They start complaining, and they refuse to listen to Moses. And he says, they, Psalm says what? They hardened their hearts. So these are former slaves, these are the people without any privilege without any power. They've just been rescued. They've just been redeemed. They've just been delivered out from all the bondage. They saw all the plagues. They saw all of this stuff. They saw God work in just wondrous ways. And yet still, their hearts were hard. I don't know about you, but our passage this morning is a passage that causes significant reflection. We balk at it and laugh. and Ah, you know, that's just not me. But we can stop and recognize, listen, that humans are amazingly stubborn people, creatures. We just really are. And that for all of our privilege, for all of our wisdom, for all of our education, listen, we hear what we want to hear. We see what we want to see. And that's why Pharaoh is such a tragic character. I mean, so tragic to look and to see God giving him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and he refuses to take it. 
our songs this morning were songs that, for example, are our, um, our, um, our sung, um, our sung uh, prayer of illumination, Spirit of the Living God, right? calling, us to, calling Him to act, to do what only you can do. Do you believe that apart from the Spirit, apart from the work of Christ in our lives, there is no hope of any change in ourselves or in others? We are a people in need of a Savior, in need of a rescuer. Let's pray.